Good evening. I, uh, I'm going to disappoint uh, Errol tonight and not be very long at all. Because I don't get paid by the word tonight, so you see. <laughs> I can afford to be a little more brief. Um, <clears throat> we had a session some time ago about VAT, and I don't know how many of you attended that session. Um, and I'm sure you must have attended other sessions, certainly read a lot about VAT. And frankly, when Errol asked me to do this, I said, you know, is that really a good idea? Everybody's vatted out, you know? We're kind of up to here with VAT. Uh, so I'm not quite sure what the state of your knowledge is about this subject tonight. And so I'm going to need a little bit of feedback. I obviously don't want to go over fundamental stuff that you're all very familiar with. Um, I, I have a little PowerPoint presentation, uh, but I'm going to assume for the moment that all of you have at least a working familiarity with that. And so we won't go right back and cover the, some of that material that we did during our first session. But of course, let's keep it interactive. Um, so if you have questions, or if we hit a subject or an area that you need a little more clarification on, just put up your hand and we'll, um, we'll deal with that right there and then. And then obviously we'll have a little bit of Q&A. So we can try and be responsive to your own particular concerns at this time. Um, just by way of introduction, let's, let's cover some of the bases. Um, I think the debate uh, is over about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, or whether we should have it or not. You know, that train has left the station. Uh, and that's an academic discussion that we can have at a different time. But the fact of the matter is, it is coming. The implementation, the implementation date is the 1st of January, and that's our reality. Uh, and this discussion about whether we should have it, and is it a good thing, and what the rate should be, is really ancient history now. Uh, and I think the focus um, has already changed, and if it isn't for you, I think it needs to change, to basically what is it all about, how is it going to work, not whether we're going to have it. You know, that is something which... Um, has really, it's part of a larger tax reform uh, that the government has had to undertake. Uh, a lot of this is driven by external forces. It's not entirely domestic. Um, you know, the world that we live in today is a global world. <clears throat> you used to hear about sovereignty. Uh, you know, we're a sovereign, independent nation. You know, we'd beat our chest and be very proud of that. Well, the fact of the matter is, in the, in the world that we live today, sovereignty is really a, a very relative term. Uh, because so much of what is going on, not only in our country, but in, in all countries today, is driven by an international agenda. It's driven by the G20 countries, uh, by the IMF, by the World Bank, by the WTO, by the FATF, by the OECD. It sounds like an alphabet soup of organizations. But that's the reality. Um, you don't need to know what each one of them stands for, but I think the big point, just in terms of getting you focused on what's going on, uh, is that these issues are no longer a question for any particular country to decide. Uh, because if you do not comply with, with the basic direction of the international community, 
we are living in an age where you can actually be frozen out. Um, the international community can impose sanctions, which today is regarded as perfectly reasonable. 15, 20 years ago, that would have been regarded uh, as very unreasonable, and nobody would even think it could happen, because there was a greater respect for the sovereignty of countries, to allow countries to determine what they would wish to do for themselves, and to pass their own laws, and to decide what they want to do. That day is over. Uh, there is, there is a, this, this concept of sovereignty now is a very limited concept. We're sure we still have some control over some of our domestic affairs, but generally speaking, many of these issues, as is this question of tax reform, uh, is being driven by an international agenda. Basically, what we've been told is, and, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, if, if you in the Bahamas don't get your financial state in order, then the rating agencies are going to start right, to drop your credit rating in the international community. Organizations like uh, S&P and Moody's and so forth, these are, these are very powerful agencies because what they do is they rate a country's credit rating and based upon that rate, that determines your access to international capital and it also determines what rate of interest you will have to pay as you try to raise money in the global community. So this, this, affects, this affects us very directly. The average Bahamian may not quite relate to this, but the fact of the matter is, you may have, have read in the newspapers from time to time, you know, these credit agencies are threatening to, 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 to drop the rating of the Bahamas. You might think, what is all that about? Well, that's very critical for us because that determines how much interest we have to pay. Just like when you go to the bank, and you want to borrow money, and the bank says, I'm going to charge you 7%, all right? And you know that the higher the interest rate, the more your payments are. Same thing for a country. Depending upon your rating by these agencies will determine, one, your access to money and capital, and two, what interest rates you pay. So the IMF, which is one of the most powerful organizations in the world, uh, is, is extremely active in the monetary and fiscal affairs of these countries. The WTO... Right, the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, the WTO, the World Trade Organization. These are what, what are called supra, not super, but supra, S-U-P-R-A, supranational agencies, which have power across the entire world. Their power is not delineated by geographical boundaries. Right? The IMF is an organization that has influence and power in the entire world. And they are very active in the affairs. So we've got to stop thinking about the Bahamas, you know, as while we are geographically an island, in any other international sense, we're not an island to ourselves. We're a very small part of a big paradigm shift in the world, which is moving us away from independent sovereign countries to a global village, to use that term which is being strongly influenced by supranational agencies that dictate general policy directives that you don't comply with at your own risk. You heard about blacklisting when the Bahamas was blacklisted in 2000, you know, in our financial services industry, remember all of that? And you talk about economic sanctions if you don't do this and you don't do that. Uh, for those of you who are a little bit more in the know, I'm not going to go into it, 
But one of the most recent examples of this is something called FATCA, F-A-T-C-A, Foreign Accounts. Um, the, the Foreign Accounts Tax Compliance Act, F-A-T-C-A, Foreign Accounts Tax Compliance Act, it is massive, right, which is being sponsored by the IRS in the U.S., and if you're in the business community, in the, in the financial community, you will realize that, that for the last five months, we've been doing nothing but FATCA. It's an enormous regime that the IRS has introduced all over the world to basically say, if you don't provide information about U.S. business, then we're going to charge you a withholding tax of 30% on every piece of business that goes through the U.S. markets. All right. Obviously, no country can survive with a 30% withholding tax because you're uncompetitive and nobody's going to use your banking system at all. Um, so th this is just an example. VAT was not specifically prescribed by the international community, but tax reform was, right? Because the agencies that are involved in these matters looked at the financial affairs of the Bahamas and says, your, your debt... The GDP ratio now is unacceptable. Your national debt, you're not, you're not bringing in enough revenue. You have to find alternative ways of raising revenue. And the time has come where you've got to significantly revamp your tax platform to get more money. Now, so, it didn't make any difference what government was in power. Could have been the FNM, the DNA, the uh, PLP. It didn't make any difference at all. Whatever government was in power, they would have had to address this imperative for tax reform. All right? Now, what we did in terms of a consumption tax, you know, some other sort of direct income tax, some sort of capital gains tax, there were options that we had, and there was an element of, of, of sovereignty in terms of deciding what we were going to do. We could have had a sales tax, we could have had a payroll tax, we could have had a value-added tax, a VAT. All right, so the government decided out of these options to go with VAT. And so here we are, right, <laughs> VAT is about to happen. Uh, what is it? That's the, that's the macro context I've given you. All right, um, what is it? It's basically what's known as a consumption tax, right? Why? Why is it a consumption tax? Because... It is a tax that is ultimately paid for by consumers. All right? The end consumer. That's a, that's, that's a, that's a critical part about that. You can look at it, and I use this analogy when we met before. Look at it as a train at the station. All right? <clears throat> when the train leaves the station and it's going from A to B, it has numerous stops along the way to get to its final de destination. Well, that's just like uh, what, you, what you look at in terms of the, the, the cycle at VAT. So at various different points in the delivery cycle, right, VAT has to be paid. But at the end of the day, it's really only paid by one person, the consumer. Right? Everybody else who has to pay VAT along the way gets it back. Understand what I'm saying? It's a collection... It really is a collection chain. It starts at the border, right, in terms of goods. When goods come into the country, 
That's when the VAT train starts, right? And from when those goods arrive at the airport or at some dock, you know, in a ship, VAT starts to be paid, and it's paid at various stops, you know, by the importer, by the wholesaler, by the retailer, right, by the service provider. But at each one of those stations, they get the VAT back from the next station. Understand what I'm saying? Until you get to the final station, which is the consumer, right? If we're talking about goods, it's when you go into the shop and when you buy that item. The final person that cannot get a credit is the consumer. Everybody else gets it back. That's why it's called a consumption tax. If you're delivering services, if you're a professional, an accountant, a lawyer, a plumber, a barber, a carpenter, all right, you're entitled to get all your VAT back. So for those persons, it's really a cash flow issue, right? It, it really doesn't, it, it, isn't, it, isn't, it is not paid by those persons. It's funded, recovered, until you get to the consumer, and there the train stops, all right? So ultimately, <laughs> there is no question uh, that when you, when you implement VAT, there is going to be a significant increase in the cost of living, because ultimately it is the consumer, whether it's a consumer of services or whether it's a consumer of goods, that pays the VAT. Uh, so come when you go to bed on December the 31st, all right, <clears throat> all items which are valuable at the standard rate of 7.5%, when you wake up the following morning, it's going to cost you 7.5% more than it did yesterday. That's how it works, overnight. All right? Now, the salary in your pocket doesn't increase overnight. And, and there is, is, is one of the problems. And this is going to be a difficult period of adjustment. I'm not sure when you look at it correctly, it's, it's entirely correct to say the cost of living is going to go up by 7.5%. Because there are some mitigating factors. But the conventional thinking is that if you have a 7.5% VAT tax, your cost of living is going to go up about 6%, right? Maybe 6.5%, which is quite significant, right? So everything that's valuable at the standard rate costs you now 7.5% more than it costs you on December the 31st. Um, and, and that is ultimately borne by the consumer. Um, I, and I think we need, we need to acknowledge this point. You know, there's nothing inherently bad about VAT. We have VAT in, I forget the number, but it's something like 190 countries in the world. I mean, there's, there's nothing inherently bad about it. VAT is a very acceptable form of taxation. One of the problems we've had is, as we've moved towards VAT is the quality of information has been so bad, the implementation has been so flawed, all right, and I'm afraid the persons who have been responsible for dealing with VAT themselves have had to kind of work through the learning curve. So you haven't been able to get answers. You haven't been able to get clarity, right? And this, is, this has heightened the anxiety of Bahamians generally to what this is all about. Uh, but, but, but to be fair about it, we, we, we can't dismiss it, you know, as a sort of regressive uh, form of taxation, you know, which is unheard of. In fact... It, it would be true to say that the most common form of a consumer tax today in the world is VAT. 
There are lots of reasons why governments prefer VAT over a sales tax, right? Which is a bit boring for me to get into, right? But, but one of the basic reasons is that there is a self-regulating mechanism in VAT. There's less of an incentive to cheat on VAT, right? Now, I'm not saying there won't be cheating, <laughs> but there's less incentive. And the reason for that is, if you're really cheating on your VAT, you're basically cheating yourself, all right? Because remember, you, you, you only get a credit for your VAT on your inputs. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, what that means. But you only get a credit for your VAT coming back to you, right? To the extent that you are a registrant, right? And you are charging VAT and collecting it. So if, if I collect, you know, $8,000 on VAT and I want to report $4,000, you know, I am cheating the government, but I'm also cheating myself because I'm only good for a credit up to four, not to 8,000. You see what I mean? So, so if you want to cheat and understate your VAT collections, um, apart from anything else, you are actually reducing your own ability to, to, to get a credit back for what you pay on your inputs. So, so it, it is, you know, it is, a, it is somewhat self-regulating. The other thing about VAT, which is very attractive to governments, is government don't collect it, right? Everybody in the supply chain collects it and pays it over to government. Right, so in terms of its its implementation and its and its and its its management and administration, that is a much easier form of taxation for governments to administer than say sales tax. Okay, basic overview. So, what is it charged on? Goods and services. You'll see the bullet points: a tax charged on most goods and services that VAT registered businesses provide in the Bahamas. Okay, now let's stop there. You, you probably know this, but let me give you 101. The threshold for VAT registration, mandatory VAT registration, is $100,000 a year. All right, if you are a business and you don't have revenue of over $100,000, you are not required to register. You can register, but you are not required to register. Any business over $100,000 is legally mandated to register. Uh, once you are registered, you get what's known as a TIN, right? A T-I-N. It stands for Tax Identification Number, right? And, and that now becomes, that number drives everything, you know? Remember the Bible says you can have a number, is it printed on your forehead or where is it going to be printed, right? You know, we're moving way, very much towards that, right? Because the VAT system does not, does not identify you by your name, that is irrelevant. You are identified by your TIN, right? And, and every invoice that you send out, every report that you make has to carry your TIN number, this tax identification number, right? And that's assigned to you. Now, so in the economy, we're going to have two categories from the point of view of VAT. We're going to have registrants and we're going to have non-registrants. Every business falls into one of those two categories to begin with. If you're over $100,000, you have to register. If you're under $100,000, it's voluntary. All right? If you decide, you'd say, well, if you don't have to register, why would anybody choose to register? Right? There's a good question. There's a good answer to that. Did I hear somebody say it? Exactly. 
the, 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 the primary benefit of registering, even if you don't have to register, is that if you're not a registrant, you get no VAT credit on your inputs. Right? That's the big deal. So in other words, any goods and supplies that I buy for the purposes of my business and utility, insurance premiums, all these other expenses, you know, my electricity bill, which all is going to be valuable, all right? If I am not a registrant, I don't get any of that back. That's a cost to me which I do not get a credit for. If I am a registrant, I can get a credit for all my VAT on my inputs. So if you're, if you're under $100,000, this is the game that you have to play. You have to sit down and say, okay, what are my inputs? If, if you, and, and inputs, we'll look at that in a moment. Inputs, as I say, is just goods and supplies that you need to run your business, okay? And if you look at them and you say, you know what? I don't actually have a lot of inputs, you know, I'm not a big office. I mean, if I'm a big office with, a, you know, 13 people working for me and I got a, a big office and rent and everything, I'm probably going to be over 100000 anyway, right? So it's not going to be an issue. If I'm a smaller business, small business, right, chances are maybe my inputs are not very substantial. Maybe I got a, you know, uh, I got a two-man business. You know, I'm a, I'm a carpenter. I'm a plumber. You know, I'm, I'm you know an accountant, but I got just a little office that I have, you know, my own little clientele, whatever it is. And I sit down and say, you know what? It only costs me, you know, $25,000, $30,000 to run my business. Now, VAT is not payable on salaries, so you can exclude salaries. All right? So when you're looking at, okay, what are my, what are my inputs, right? If you don't have to register, if you think on looking at the numbers, the VAT that I'm going to pay on my inputs is not very substantial. All right, then the, an the answer is really there's no reason for you to register. You're going to be a non-VAT registered. But you're going to have to pay that 7.5% on everything that you buy for your business. So, <clears throat> let's go back to our slide. All right, so a tax charged on most goods and services that VAT registered businesses provide in the Bahamas. The second one, a tax charge on goods and some services that are imported from outside the Bahamas. Dealing with that second bullet point, a tax charge on goods and some services that are imported from outside the Bahamas. If, if, if you are involved in a transaction or in a matter, you know, or you have medical uh, services that you're getting in Miami or in Fort Lauderdale, um, I mean, clearly they're not valuable. All right, those services are not valuable. If you're looking at outside services that are being provided inbound, that becomes a much more complicated question, and and we'll get to that in a moment. Third bullet point: VAT is a tax on consumption and is ultimately paid by the final consumer. We've made that point. VAT is not a direct expense to businesses, although there are indirect resulting costs. That's my point that I said. Businesses really don't pay VAT at the end of the day, right? They fund it. It's a cash flow issue for businesses, all right? But they get it back. And the only person that, quote, really pays VAT is you and me as a consumer. That's, that's the third bullet point, all right? Um, now, I must say, in, in being a VAT registrant, um, there are costs. For instance, let me give you one example. 
when is that, and, and we'll, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I just want to give you the example. We'll look at it in more detail in a minute. <clears throat> when is that payable? Well, unless you qualify for a special exemption under some of the sections, and we won't deal with that today because they're rather specialized, that is payable when you generate the invoice, not when it's paid. Okay? So, for instance, that's why I say this is a cash flow issue. All right? At, at the point that the service or good is delivered, that's when you have to pay that. Now, remember, if I'm not the end consumer, I'm going to get that back eventually. All right? But during the period, so, so I have to pay the VAT before I collect it. That's my simple point. That's why it's a cash flow issue. Right? For those of you who are accountants, VAT is payable on, 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 on an accrual accounting, not on a cash accounting. By that, what do I mean? Right? When you send out a bill, in accounting terms, that's known as a receivable. Right? An accounts receivable. That's what that's known. As. Now, anybody in business knows that your accounts receivable, depending on what business you're in and who your customers are, it takes, takes some people 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days to pay that invoice. You with me? You are, a, you are a very fortunate man or woman if you send the invoice and you get paid the next day. And that don't happen these days. Right? So that receivable, you carry that in your books on an accrual basis. All right, now, at some point, you hope that's going to be paid. Now, in terms of VAT, you don't pay the VAT when it's paid. You pay the VAT when it's accrued, when you send out the invoice. So, very simple example, I send an invoice out to somebody for $10,000, okay? Uh, I have to pay 7.5%, me, the business, I have to pay 7.5% on that right then, in that reporting cycle. All right? Some businesses, depending on your size, have to report monthly. Some can report quarterly. If I'm on a monthly reporting cycle, at the end of that month, if I'm in December, come December 31, I have to pay VAT on all my invoices right, that I've sent out. Now, I may not collect those invoices for another four months. You know what I'm saying? And I don't get my credit back until I collect them. So I, in effect, have to carry, I have to fund this VAT, which is why I say it's a cash flow issue. That's why governments like it, right? Because government gets paid right away, right? They get paid not by your client or, or your customer. They get paid by the business, and the business has to pay it the minute the invoice goes out. It may take you six months to get paid, right? And during that six-month period, you have had to pay VAT on that invoice. You understand what I'm saying? If you are a fairly large business, trust me, this could be a fairly significant matter. Right? It, 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 can, it can be hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash flow. Right? Now, I say cash flow because you will get it back, assuming your invoice is paid. But it is quite significant in that sense. All right? So let's look at the final point. There are two types of VAT. All right? We talked about, you heard me talking about inputs and outputs, right? The inputs and the outputs. Uh, what you said, uh, I was trying to figure out why the business have to pay the 7%, 7 on, the, on, and on the invoice. Uh, I thought the customer or the consumer does that. Ultimately. 
Remember I said the businesses have to pay it along the way, and then they get a credit back. The only one that pays that doesn't get a credit back is the consumer, right? But during that, during that supply chain, right, each individual business will have to pay that VAT, and then they can claim a credit. That's called an input. They can then claim a credit back. You see what I'm saying? But the only person that doesn't get a credit back is the consumer. Exactly. The government don't get the money from the consumer. This is one of the big differences between a sales tax that you mentioned and VAT. Right? Governments are not paid by, I mean, the, the consumer ultimately pays it, but government don't get any money from the consumer. Right? They get, they get their money, right, from the businesses in the supply chain. And then it's up to that business to recover. Errol? Just asking how they actually going to get the physical money. I mean, how is that transfer going to happen between the business? How are you going to get your credits? Or how is it going to get from the business to the government? Well, the way, the way it gets from the business to the government is that, as I say, if you are a registrant, whatever your reporting cycle is, it's either monthly or quarterly, all right? And unless you, uh, if you're under $4,000, you can apply for a flat, you know, VAT rate. But those are, those are nuances. So whatever your reporting cycle is, that's when you would have to report that item, and that's when you have to send a check to the government, right? So every month, if I'm on a, reporting, if I'm on a monthly reporting cycle, every month I will have to send a check to the government, every month, with a, with a, with a report, right, showing how much VAT I charged, all right, and how much money I'm paying to the government, and I have to keep records because the government has a right, obviously, to come in and audit my records, right? Either if they, they can do spot audits or if you think, they think you're cheating or you're understating it, they have a right under the law right, to come in and to demand to see your records and they can do an audit. So on a very practical basis, if I'm a business and I'm a VAT registered, I'm over $100,000, right? let's say I'm in the month of January 2015, all right? come the end of the month, I have to fill out a report which is a standard template, right? And I have to report in all of my invoices, right? And all of the VAT that I have charged. Now, remember, I haven't collected this yet, right? Because the VAT is on my invoice that I send to my customer. And as I said, that sometimes takes three or four months to collect. But the government's not concerned about that, and, and that's fine, right? So I have to say... In the month of January, I sent out 320 invoices, all right? And the VAT that I, that I charged on those 320 invoices, right, is, you know, $25,000. And I have to send a check to them for $25,000, right? And that will happen across the board. I think the last figure that, that, that Michael Haukita said they, they, they have now is what? What do they say? Over, I think, over 1,000 registrants. Um, but that'll happen across the board, and every month the government will get VAT subscriptions that have come in from registrants. Okay. Now, another part of your question, which you may not have asked, but it's a good point anyway, you say, okay, that's how it works. So every month I'm going to be paying my VAT bill to the government. That's the way life is these days. Okay. So you say I can get my credits on my inputs. How do I actually get that back? Because you know, you, you ever get any money back from government? <laughs> You know, it's kind of difficult. This is actually where VAT is good for registrants. Because under the VAT system, 
the government don't have to give you that money back. You are entitled to deduct from your next payment any credits that you were entitled to on your inputs during that period of time. So you deduct your credits at source. I trust me, this is very important because if you're waiting for a government for a check from the treasury, you could be waiting a long time, right? But this is a good thing for for registrants because you can deduct at source. So if I owe the government twenty five thousand dollars for the month of January, but I'm entitled to six thousand dollars credit, I only pay them fourteen thousand dollars. You know, um, and that's where I say it's self regulating because if if my if my VAT was really forty thousand and I only declare 20,000, right, then the most credits that I can get would be 20,000, not 40,000. So you're kind of cheating yourself, you know, um, which is a, it's a good self-regulating mechanism in VAT. Okay? From what you've already paid them or from what you paid? You're deducting it from what you have to pay them the next time. So every month I have to make a check, okay. all right, if, if I'm on a monthly reporting cycle. Right? So the first month, obviously in January 2015, I won't have any credits yet, so I'll have to pay the full amount. But come February, March, April, May, June, I'm going to have credits on my VAT. I have to pay electricity bills. I've, I've bought supplies. You know, I have to pay, uh, anything else I have to buy for my business. And at the end of the end of that month, I'm going to say, I had inputs, which, which I paid seven and a half percent for, right? For the month of January of, $3,000. In other words, I as a consumer, and now I'm, bearing, I'm not saying you and me personally, I'm saying if you're a VAT registrant, all right? Because remember, VAT registrants are business, businesses are consumers. They go and they buy supplies and goods and pay electricity bills and all that sort of stuff. So everything as a registrant that I have bought during that preceding period, which I paid 7.5% on, all right? And let's say that month it was $3,000. And let's say that I have to pay them $20,000. Right? Where I get it back is I don't pay them 20, I pay them 17. So I've now recovered my VAT. You see what I'm saying? I don't have to wait for government to reimburse me. This is a good thing for registrants. Explain this to me then. If I am not paying my national insurance, if I am not paying my BDC, what's the other encouragement to pay this back? Well, first of all, if, if you, I mean, the, the, the first answer to that question is, it's got to be better enforcement. You're quite right. right. I mean, that's an integral part of moving to a tax platform. And this is one of the problems that we have in the Bahamas. We don't have a culture of paying taxes. So, you know, this is a major paradigm shift for us. And trust me, you know, it isn't going to end with VAT, you know. This, this is not over. This is an, an inexorable process, right? It won't end with VAT. First of all, VAT's going to go up. It has in every other country. You look at any country in the world that I've looked at, right, within a period of three to five years, whatever the VAT rate started at, it's been increased by 25 or 5%. So 7.5% is just the entry level. It will go up. And also, it will usher in new forms of direct taxation. The Bahamas is moving. This is something which we don't fully appreciate. 
and, and, and this is not a criticism. In fact, in my view, it's a necessary, I'm afraid it's a necessary development, right? Because we've got to accept in 2014, we, we, we can't continue to survive under a economic model which was really developed in the 50s. You know, it, it just can't happen. We've had a good run, right? But the fact of the matter is, even though there's a lot of wastage, there's a lot of corruption, there's a lot of selective enforcement, all of that is true. Right? And that is true in every country in the world, and it is certainly true in the Bahamas. And if we, if we cut out the corruption, and we cut out the cheating, and we properly enforced, right? I mean, they've got, they've got a half a billion dollars outstanding in real property tax. Right? If you were really being skeptical, you would say, you know, if the, if the, if the government can't collect real property tax, which is the simplest form of tax in the books, how can they collect a VAT or a sales tax or an income tax or anything else? That, that may be true, and I think that's one of the reasons why maybe the government opted for that, because from a point of view of implementation and enforcement, right, it's not easy, but it's easier than some of these other forms of taxation for reasons that I've just explained. So why are they going to pay it? You've got to have better enforcement, right? But also, if you don't pay it, you're not going to get any credit on your inputs, now, if that's not a big deal for you, then you can make the trade-offs, all right? And, and just like it's, it's illegal to break in somebody's house, and it's illegal to speed, and it's illegal to, you know, commit rape, people do it. So are people going to cheat? Sure, they're going to cheat. What's the level of cheating? That's going to depend upon the efficiency of enforcement, the, the oversight and vigilance, all right, which, which are major, and, of course, people understanding that, if I'm going to cheat, at least I've got to cheat within margins because there's going to come a time when my cheating is actually going to be detrimental to me. But, but otherwise, I mean, you, are, you, you have a, a percentage of non-compliance with every tax system. And, you know, why are they going to pay it? Well, they're going to pay it because they, the law is going to make them pay it, and if you don't enforce it, you probably won't have compliance. I mean, you've heard, you've read the figures. The, the government says that it thinks it's going to have about a 70-plus percent compliance level with VAT. You know, well, we'll see. You know, that's fairly high. They said they don't have that with any other form of taxation in the Bahamas at the moment. Uh, but, but as I said, there are some built-in advantages, which I think would at least help. Okay? Now, if we can go to the uh, next slide. As I said, the two forms of VAT, right? Inputs and outputs. What is output? All right, output VAT is the tax that you charge your clients or your customers for service, services and goods. All right, so that's basically the 7.5%. So if I'm in business, right, whatever VAT I'm charging my customers is my output. Second point, this can be either at standard rate of 7.5 or zero. Right, and of course you might say, well, What's the sense of having zero? I mean, if it's zero, it's why, why are you bothering with it? The reason why it is important is because if you're zero rated, you can still get credits on your inputs. So don't equate zero rated with exempt. That's my point. All right? So you, so you can say, well, if it's zero rated, why do I have to bother with it? Because if you don't bother with it, you're not going to get any credits back on your inputs. Right? And if you're talking about, you know, middle to big business, trust me, this is a lot of money. 
You're paying 7.5% on everything that you have to buy for your business. That's a fairly large sum of money. Okay? Third point, note that service and goods charged at the zero rate are still considered taxable activities. All right? That's why it's not technically right to say, if you're zero-based, I don't have to pay that. Right? That's a practical answer, but it's not legally correct. Because zero-rated does mean that you're valuable. It's just the rate is zero. And, and why? That distinguishes you from being exempt. And you, you now know the importance of that. One you can collect, you can get credits on inputs, the other you can't. Third point, note, uh, exempt services goods do not attract VAT, but are very different from zero-rated services. And that's the difference between exempt and zero. We can take a look at the next slide, please. Inputs. What is an input? An input is the tax that you are charged on your business purchases and expenses. So take your business, anything that you have to buy for the purposes of your business is an input, right? Together with all of your utility expenses, right, that are associated with your business. Um, so that's why we say you get you're entitled to get back your 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 VAT, your seven and a half percent on your inputs. Because when I source these inputs, right? Remember now, I'm a consumer, even though I'm a registrant. When I'm charging VAT, I'm a registrant. When I'm buying goods and services, I'm a consumer, right? When I'm a consumer, I'm paying seven and a half percent on everything I buy. The fact that I may be exempt for VAT purposes on my outputs, don't exempt me from paying 7.5%. That would have been nice. But no, no, right? The fact that I may be zero-based or zero-rated for my outputs doesn't mean I'm zero-rated for my inputs, right? There aren't, uh, there aren't two ratings on inputs. Inputs are either exempt altogether, right? And I'll give you a list of those if we have time, or it's 7.5%. So that's, that's, that's very important. Um, so don't think, oh, I'm exempt, I don't have to pay on my inputs. Oh, I'm zero-based, I don't have to pay on inputs. Don't get outputs and inputs mix, mixed up, okay? Um, last point here, you cannot claim credit on goods or services purchased by the business but used personally or for an activity which is not in the course of furtherance of the taxable activity carried on by that business. Now, this is a, this is a big area, a big gray area that a lot of people may try to play around the edges. Right, but that point simply means this. If you're going to try and claim back a VAT credit, a VAT credit on inputs, right? It, 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 whatever you have sourced, those goods had to have been purchased and used for the purpose of the business. The most common example of, of this and the, the easiest area for abuse is vehicles. All right, you know, lots of businesses, the, 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 the boss, you know, he can buy a Lexus and, and he can say, I bought this for the business. You know, my messenger needs a Lexus, right, to deliver packages, you know. And so when he pays that 7.5% on the land, I'm exaggerating it, but you get my point, right? When he pays that, when he buys that Lexus, he's going to have to pay 7.5%, right? Because when he's buying it, what? He's a consumer. He's a consumer, you got to pay it. Right? But he's going to say, now, if I could somehow use this vehicle in my business, ah, I'm a tax, I'm a VAT registrant. So I hope you're beginning to think with me now what happens. 
If I'm a tax, if I'm a VAT registrant, hmm, that means I'm entitled to my credit on my inputs, hmm, can I treat this car as an input, hmm, if I'm using it for the business, yes, right? But, you know, the fact that I may use it in the evening to take out my girlfriend is neither here nor there. The fact that it's a family vehicle is not, you see what I'm saying? So this, this will be monitored or should be monitored carefully, right? But the principle is <coughs> the goods that you're buying, that you're entitled to get your credit on as a VAT registrant have to be for the purpose of the business, right? Not for personal use where you're using the business as a pretext. Okay, we can look at the next slide, please. VAT credit. Must have a valid, must have valid documentation, proper invoices with the tax ID number. That's the TIN. I tell you, you're going to get very used to TIN. I'm not going to say, uh, morning Clinton. I'm going to say, hello, TIN, number 64321. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't know about no Clinton clock. That ain't relevant. It's your TIN. Everything's governed by your TIN. It's like in the U.S., what is everything governed by? Social security number. That's all they want to know. They don't need to know your name. They want your social security number. Well, we're moving in that same direction. Your national insurance number and your TIN will be how you are known to the government. Right? That's what it's moving towards. All right? So you cannot recover VAT paid on a purchase, maintenance, or repair of passenger vehicles unless used for the activity, and I've made that point. Cannot recover VAT paid on entertainment as food, beverages, unless you are in the business of providing entertainment or wholly for employees as part of a reward for services rendered. And again, this is another gray area. You know how it is. Right? Lots of business could be doing plenty of entertaining these days. Right? And this happens in, in the most developed countries. Just, you, know, you write off business lunches you know, because you get certain tax exemptions, when really it's a social lunch. Well, a lot of that stuff will be played around the edges here. Um, but the principle is, if, if, you, are, if you are entertaining... Um, or given some sort of, of rewards or bonuses, you know, in terms of goods to your employees as an integral part of some sort of compensation scheme or incentive, then you actually can treat them as inputs. All right. And you will be allowed to credit back your seven and a half percent, but only if those expenses, that entertainment, those lunches, those dinners, right, are, are truly within the scope of a business activity. Um, so, so I hope now, let's just take a pause. We'll go to the next slide, but let's just see where we are. So we know what VAT is. It's a consumption tax. We know that it's charged at every station in the supply chain, right, until you get to the consumer, right, and he's the end of the chain. We know that you have to pay this VAT to the government, right, as soon as you either invoice it or deliver the service or good. We know that if you're a registrant, you're entitled to get back your 7.5% on your inputs, all right? We know what an input is now. You know what an output is now, right? And you know how the credit mechanism is going to work. How are you going to get back your credits? All right, so not doing too bad so far. Everybody Okay. Anybody sleep? <laughs> All right. Yes. Speak up, sorry. Yeah, I saw some businesses uh, put their TIN number on the, uh, the newspapers. Is that mandatory? No. 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 It is mandatory to put your TIN number on all invoices. 
and it is mandatory for you to publicly display your VAT certificate, your registration certificate. And, and on the website, you don't have to do it, but the government publishes on their VAT website a full list of all registrants. So for instance, if you're dealing with a business and you think, you know, and you, you go in and you're either buying something or they're providing you with some sort of service, you know, some guy comes across around to the house, you know, and fixes the, 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 the plumbing or the electricity, you know, or does a little job, put in some cabinets for you, and he gives you a bill for $1,200 plus VAT 7.5%. And you say, well, I don't really know this guy is registered, you know, right? And he says, and, and he gives you, you know, a little, now, I must say, a lot of these people, the small businesses, they don't even give you invoices. But, but you are, they're going to be required to do that. All right? You're entitled to say, what's your tin? If the guy looks at you like you're from Mars, don't, don't pay the VAT. Don't pay the VAT, because he's not a registered. Right? If he's, if, he's, if he's better, and he gives you a number, and you're still a little skeptical, go to the web page, and you will see, you'll be, if, he, if he's called John Smith, you know, plumbing, you go to the web page, you'll be able to look him up. Right? And, and if he's a registrant, it'll be on that web page. And if he's not a registrant and he's charging you VAT, you don't pay it, you should be porting. Right? So there are really three protections for the consumer to make sure you're not being gouged. Right? In terms of people charging VAT who should not be charging VAT. One is, you're, you're entitled to make them tell you their TIN number. All right? Two is, they have to publicly display their VAT registration certificate. All right? Or, or if, if they don't have an office and they kind of work out of their vehicle, they should have it in their pocket. You should say, show me your VAT, show me your VAT registration certificate. And three, you can go to the web page. Right? So quite frankly, any informed consumer should be able to protect their own interests. You know, in terms of these shysters who may try to collect VAT when they're not actually a registered. Okay? So, I, I don't know. I hope you may be getting a slightly better idea of how this thing works. All right, let's look at the next slide. VAT credits will generally just be applied to the amount owed when returned, filed, and the balance will be owed to the government. VAT credits will generally just be applied to the amount owed when returned, when you, that should be when your returns are filed, and the balance will be owed to the government. In the event that the VAT credits are greater than the VAT charged, all right, now see if you begin to, begin to understand these terms, right, the input VAT, you should now know what that means, right, is greater than the output VAT, you should now know what that means, right, in a tax period. All that means is, simple translation, a tax period is what I've been calling your reporting cycle. It's either monthly or quarterly, okay? If in any tax period I'm entitled to a greater credit in return on my inputs than I have to pay on my outputs, then the government don't get no money from me. That tax period. I'm entitled to set it off, right? And actually at the end of that month, that tax period, the government still owes me some money. So when I get to my next tax period, I'll be able to credit the balance. Right now, you may be thinking, hmm, sounds interesting, but you know, there is a level of record keeping that, that, that has to be done here. And some of our businesses, particularly the smaller businesses, uh, don't do that at all. 
They know record keeping and invoices and they know software package and computer and all that sort of stuff. Let me make the point. Don't, don't let's overstate it. In other words, you don't have to have Ernst Young or Deloitte's, you know, come in and, 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 and set your accounting, your VAT package up. It's not that complicated. So don't let's overstate it. But having made that concession, there is a level of record keeping that every business is going to be required to maintain if you are a VAT registered. All right? Now, if you're under 100,000 and you don't want the burden of that record keeping, then don't register. No problem. You don't have to worry about it at all. You could wake up January the 1st and as a business, you could forget about VAT. You can't forget about it as a consumer because you could be paying it. But you know, you don't have to do it. But, but accept that if that's your position, you're not going to be able to get any credits back. That's the trade-off. Simple. Right? So, you know, if you're over 100, you don't have a choice. You have to register. Right? Why am I going to keep records? Well, you're going to find out, and this is the self-mechanism, the self-regulating mechanism. The first time you try to claim a credit from the government, right? Rudy, in your business, right? <clears throat> you try to claim a credit from your government. And you, you, you fill out the form and you say, you know, <clears throat> during, during January, you know, you sent out bills to your customers, work that you did for them, which equals X amount of dollars. Okay? And you could say, but you know, I had to, I had to buy this, these supplies in order to, to deliver my services. So, uh, I had to pay that on that. So I, I want a credit. Right? So you fill out your little form. And you say, my VAT output is $6,000. My credit on my VAT inputs are, you know, $900. Right? So you send the government $5,100. You following my math? Right? What you're going to find is, at some point, the government's going to say, show me your records for these credits that you have been deducting. Right? And while I'm not suggesting for a moment they're going to want any fancy accounting systems and records like IBM, right? They will nonetheless require you, even if you're a one-man business, right? They will nonetheless require you to be able to show your invoices. And we're going to be like the Americans, you know. Every time you now, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I never get receipts. If I get it, I throw it away the minute I go outside the door. You know what I'm saying? Right? No more. No more if you're a registrant. You better keep every receipt that you are given when you buy something. Because if you intend to take a credit for that, you're going to have to support the credit with your receipts. You know, so you get a big, you better get your little vanilla file and you better start putting them in there. All right? Because if you cannot support your credits, right? The government's not going to let you take them, right? And they'll say, oh, you took, you took $8,000 over the last 12 months. I just got around auditing you now. I'm not allowing any of it. You better pay me that $8,000 back, right? So, again, without overstating it, we have to accept. And this applies to, you know, hairdressers, you know, uh, all, the, all the persons, that, the sort of freelance 
supply of people that do work around the house and work in businesses and work out of their vehicles. A lot of these people don't have an office, right? They kind of work out of their vehicle with a cell phone. That's all you need to do business today. To, to, to be more fancy, they have a virtual office. That's what they call that. Well, your virtual office better have some records. Right? So, you know what I'm saying? I hope you're beginning to see the paradigm shift that I'm talking about. It's a different mentality, which Bahamians don't have because we've never really had to pay any direct taxes. We've been living in a, in a dream for a long time. That's about to come to an end. Reality is about to catch up with us. Right? And as I say, it won't stop here. Right? That's going from 7.5 to 10 to 12 to 15. And, you know, right down the road, that tax, income tax, capital gains tax, it's all on the table now. Right? The tax neutral platform, which has been the foundation of the economic model of the Bahamas, is about to change forever. Right? It's a big paradigm shift. Now, that's not intended to alarm you, right? And that doesn't mean everything's, you know, bad and the world's coming to an end. It just means that the Bahamas is finally catching up with the rest of the world. You know, most countries that have VAT also have income tax, also have capital gains tax, also have sales tax, also have inheritance tax, right? Well, Hopefully, that, that won't all come down the pipeline at the same time. But I need you, 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 know, you, need, to tech, you need to get the point, right? This is an inexorable process that isn't going to be turned back. We're not introducing VAT at 7.5% to stay here for the next 20 years. That ain't going to happen. So Bahamians better get used to it. It will not happen. All right? And I could tell you this. I yet to see a government that gives away revenue. That's like taking ice cream from a baby. So no government coming after the PLP to reverse that. That won't happen. They'll tweak it. They'll play around with it. They might, you know, but it, it doesn't go backwards. Governments have an insatiable appetite for revenue. And the more you give them, the more they're going to spend. And that's not true of Bahamian government. That's governments around the world. Right, so you know we have to understand that, Jerry or Ron. Provincial government did give back taxes to their people for a period of time. Well, that I'm actually I'm aware about that, and that's a that's a good thing. So I stand corrected, but I think you'll accept it doesn't happen often. Hand at the back. No, Michael. Customs duties. Well, we'll have to see. How does that affect customs duties? Duties. Very good point. Right? And, and that's evolving. Initially, it was thought that VAT was really going to replace customs duties. And customs duties would be phased out. You know? Now, that may still happen because of the WTO. As you know, you probably know, the Bahamas is doing, is, is currently in what's known as the accession period, right, um, in order to join the WTO, right? And we're, we're probably, depending on who you believe, maybe three years away from that, two and a half, maybe four years, all right? WTO does not support tariffs as a policy because what is the WTO? 
It's the World Trade Organization. It's, it's, it's mantra, right, is free trade. And it perceives tariffs, or what we call duties, as an obstacle to free trade. All right, so as a principle, WTO does not support import duties or tariffs. And we have been told that, that while they'll negotiate the process in terms of how soon and how much, it's going to be difficult for the Bahamas to maintain its duty regime middle to long term, given where the WTO is and where the world is moving. All right, so, so I think ultimately, and that's another reason why we had to find another form of taxation, because we get a lot of problems in the international community with these import duties, right? So, but initially, what the government has done is they don't, and I think this was a prudent decision, to be honest, even though it wasn't a very popular one. They, they were initially saying we're going to roll back import duties, you know, significantly, and we were getting, you know, 500 million from duties, we're going to get 300 million, and, and all that, all the numbers were flying around. But what they, what they concluded, I think, on advice was, before we start radically adjusting our duties, which at the moment is the single largest source of revenue for the government, right? You, you know that by a long shot. Import duties is the single largest source of revenue for the government. Right? And, and, and they've decided that before we start playing with that, we actually better see how much VAT we're going to collect rather than basing it on all these projections. See what I'm saying? So what they've decided is we better scale back reducing duties substantially. Right until we have a year or two under our belt, and once we see what that is, and as, as long and, and assuming we have some headroom from the WTO, right, we'll keep our duties duty regime in place. So what they've done is they have adjusted it somewhat. They have reduced duties on some items, um, and increased, I think, their list of duty-free items. But it's more like tinkering. It hasn't been a substantial revamping of duty. So at least for the first year, and I think possibly for the first, second, maybe third year, uh, I think you're going to see a gradual rolling back of duties. But initially, we're going to be paying duties and VAT. That's, that's the answer. But in that context, yes. Well, go, yeah, I, I think the question was, what are the benefits for the consumer? There, there's, there's no benefit in this sense, in this sense. You're buying the item. There's no, there's no benefit in this sense. I mean, you are buying the item, but, but you're paying 7.5% more for it, right? So what am I getting on the 1st of January that cost me 7.5% more than I got on the 31st of December? Nothing. It's the same item. Right? So the consumer isn't benefiting at all in a direct sense. The benefit is that the country raises additional revenue. And the theory is that the additional revenue is going to be used to improve 
quality of life and all those sorts of things. That's the only answer, right? Sorry? That's the theory. That is why, uh, even though he didn't quite report me accurately on all matters, you might have seen I said today, which was reported in the Tribune, that is why it is my fundamental view that as we move towards a, a tax platform and move away from a tax-neutral platform, all right, there, there needs to be in the Bahamian people a, a demand for greater levels of transparency and accountability. Because, you know, if I'm paying a dollar out of my pocket today, and you're going to introduce a new tax, and you're going to say, you know what, things are tough, let's get real people, it costs money to run a country, Bahamas has had a good run, you know, we, don't, we now, I'm afraid, have to go to some direct forms of taxation, we've got to grow up, be big boys, and accept this as a reality. You know what? I, I could buy into that argument, theoretically. Right? I could buy into it. I mean, it, 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 is, it is true. The, 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 the economic model that we're living in in the Bahamas, as I say, was developed in the 50s, and we can't expect it to sustain us, you know, for the next hundred years. But, but the difficulty that I and many people have is, okay, so you're now taking a dollar out of my pocket for taxes. Well, now you, tomorrow you want me to pay four dollars. Okay, if I buy in to your argument that, you know, we need more money to run this country, and I'm afraid that's got to be shared, you know, by the people, then you, my leaders, better buy into the fact that I'm going to give you now four dollars. But you better account to me, right, at a higher level. Because as you take more money out of my pocket, I want higher levels of accountability. And I'm going to hold you to a level of financial stewardship, which maybe I wasn't too worried about before, because I was only paying a dollar. But as you ramp up what you've taken out of my pocket, because that's in effect, you know, what a tax is, I, 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 nothing bad about it. But look at it this way, and this, this is everywhere in the world, right? A tax is the government taking its hand and putting it into your pocket and taking out of your pocket whatever that tax is. That's what a tax is. Get used to it, right? So the point is, if you could put your hand in my pocket and take out more and more of my money, I'm going to get a little more demanding on what I expect from you. Fear? Now, frankly, that's up to the Bahamian people. Because you know your political leaders will get away with whatever we let them get away with. So if we pay that, and we pay more money, and, and, we, don't, and we don't demand higher levels of financial stewardship, that's our own fault. In the back. Example, I have a parental stand with BEC and 2014, and it carries over to 2015, will I have to pay the 7.5% uh, on the existing balance? No. No. Any, any, that's a good question. Any, any, any outstanding debt or payment for services or goods that were delivered prior to December, to January 1, 2015, will not be valuable provided they are invoiced by the 28th of February, 2015. All right? So I must say, in, in my business, you know, we kind of smiled about this because the last thing clients want to get from me is an invoice. 
usually, you know. They want, they want everything else, but they don't want an invoice for me, right? Well, actually, if they, if, if they, and, and we've had to send them letters to explain this, any, any informed consumer now would actually be saying, send me an invoice, right? Because once it's invoiced before February 28th, if the goods or services were sourced before January 1, they're not valuable. Does that answer your question? Nothing, nothing that was incurred prior to January 1 is valuable unless it was purchased or, or, or sourced for the purpose of 2015 and beyond. So for instance, they call this front loading, right? If I go to my doctor, accountant, whatever, and I say, you know what? I, I got to have a little operation in February next year. You know, and, and I know you tell me it's going to cost me $5,000. Bill me tomorrow. Bill me tomorrow, and I can pay you before Christmas. Right? And then I don't have to pay VAT on it. No, no, that's front loading. That's illegal. <laughs> right? But you'd be surprised how many people ask about that. Right? It's the first time, David, I had people wanting to pay me fees. It's the first time. They say, Mr. Reed, please send me the invoice. Let me pay it before. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of interesting, right? But, but as long, coming to you right now, and then I know there's a hand over here, but as long as the good was purchased or the service was delivered before January 1, for a period before January 1, it's not valuable. When you pay it is irrelevant, right? Once it's been billed by February 28th. We have $300 exemption that is still in place. So we we will have to pay what on whatever we purchase on that in that three hundred dollars. When you exemption. say three hundred dollar exemption for you mean customs duty? customs. Oh in customs duty. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um you you won't have to pay it coming into the airport, no. No. When you come into the airport and you got, you know, whatever you bought in New York in your bag and you take your exemption. That, that, you're not, you're not sourcing that in the Bahamas. So you're not going to have to pay VAT on that. No. All right. Um, in terms of a consumer, let's say this is you, you bought something, let's say furniture before, um, before the end of this year and you're on a payment plan for a set furniture, will the, will the individual be paying that on top of the um, payments that they will be making in 2015? That's the first question. And um, I just, just getting clarification as well. If there were any goods that were paid, that were um, bought before um, this year, so perhaps a food store or whatnot, they might have goods that were bought before 2015, um, and then they have goods that are being bought for the next year. They can't charge me VAT for the goods that were bought this year, particularly for sale? Well, you, you asked two very tough questions. <laughs> very tough questions. Um, and, and I'll do my best to answer them. But both of those questions have created a lot of problems. Um, the first question is, if I'm on a payment plan, and it's going to stretch beyond December 31. Do I pay VAT on my post 2014 payments? Okay. 
um, under under this contract. I've I've had this discussion with many people in the VAT unit. Um, so what I'm about to say, I disclaim. I don't know what the position will be because I don't know where they're going to end up on it. All right, but but their their basic position seems to be this: if if you have a, a contract that is in place before January 1, 2015, which is going to extend into January 1, 2015 and beyond, all right, then you pay VAT as of January 15 going forward, but you don't pay it going backwards. All right? Now, as I say, that's a soft position because that's under a lot of ch challenge, protest, and they're looking at it. And I myself have heard two different explanations um, from the VAT unit on on that situation. Um, so, so that's a very good question, um, but that's the best I can do at the moment. On your on your second question, um, this has caused particularly the food stores a nightmare. You know, and of course, if you recall, you might have read a little bit about it. You know, they've set up what they call this virtual warehouse. Um, and again, I'll answer it as best I can, but don't take this to the bank. Uh, it, they seem to be saying this. Goods, goods which you purchase now, before the end of the year, which are really intended to be sold in 2015 and beyond, they will be, you are entitled to charge VAT on them when you put them on your shelf. Right, provided this after January 1. And by the way, nobody, nobody is entitled to charge VAT before January 1. That's not to say they can't send you a bill for services to be rendered in 2015. Now, right? I mean, I must say, we, for instance, we do that a lot of times. If you have a company, you know, those of you who have companies, you know that you have to pay an annual fee every year to the government and you have to pay it to your lawyer to maintain your company. Right? And that's a set fee for the year. And, and all our 2015 bills, you know, and, and I mean, we have thousands of companies, all these bills that go out for 2015, right, have to be sent to the client, right, in November and December so they get them in time. So when all those bills went out, uh, assuming these companies, the services of these companies were valuable, we had to show VAT on our invoice, even though at that time there was no tin, right? Because they only started giving out tins after, uh, I think it was after 1 November. Um, sorry? Yeah, I think it was November 30th, right? But, but so when we sent out the invoices, we did show VAT, but, but that was for a two, 2015 service, not for a 2014 service. What they seem to be saying, and as I said, this is very complicated, and I don't pretend to have gotten into all the minutia, right? But if you have inventory in your warehouse, right, that you bought in 2014, uh, and you bought that inventory for 2015, um, you know, yes, you are entitled to charge VAT. And what about all the inventory on the shelf on December 31, right? Well, this is what they were working through. I'm not sure they've come up with a solution. Right? Because their initial approach was everything has to be repriced. Now, what the what the retail what the retailers were saying is, how can I do that overnight? You know how many items there are in a food store. Right? I I got to price everything December the thirty first. So when people come into my shop, my 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 food store on January the first, everything now is plus that. 
very difficult. And they were working out various approaches to that. Um, but this idea of stocking up on inventory, right, it also applies to building supplies. I mean, people who are about to build a house, if you're about to do renovations, right, I mean, people were saying to me, it's a little late now, you know, they want to do some renovations next year. My advice was, do it now. This was in October, you know. Do your renovations now, because that's not valuable. All right, but if you're in the middle of renovations, let's say I got renovations being done in my house or I'm building a house, but it's not finished, and January 1 comes along, it gets very complicated then as to, you know, the cement, you know, the sand, the blocks. I mean, at what point am I now have to pay VAT on these supplies? You know, and it, it, in terms of my contractor, you know, whoever's doing the work, uh, when did he source these supplies? You know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's, it's very complicated. But these are two very good questions. Um, and you, I don't know exactly where those issues are going to end up, but I know they were working through them. But it, it raises these issues. This, this implementation, you know, of December 31, no VAT, and January 1, VAT. And frankly, there's no other way to do it. You can't bring it in any other way. It has to come, the guillotine has to come down sometime. It, it does, does create transitional difficulties, which they have to work through. Michael? Uh, a Bahamian shipping company that has an operation between Bahamas and the United States. Uh, do you have to pay VAT on what is shipped from the United States? Well, that's another interesting one. Also applies to airline tickets, you know. Um, again, I'll give you the simple version, but uh, all of this must be taken under a strong caveat that, you know, we, we haven't even seen the VAT rules yet, you know, which is really surprising because it's the 12th, 12th of December. I mean, this is a, li a little difficult. We have the VAT Act. We have the VAT regulations. We have the VAT guidance notes, which are utterly confusing, right? But we don't even have the VAT rules. That was supposed to come out at the end of November, but we don't have it yet. So I don't know. But what they seem to be saying, Michael, is this. Uh, any, any purely domestic uh, shipping or airline travel is valuable. That's simple. If you go in from Nassau to, Harbor, to, to Abaco, you pay in VAT on your ticket. That's easy. Right? However, if you are booking a ticket in Nassau to New York, you know, and you go in Nassau, New York, New York, Nassau, right? Is that valuable? Right? The answer at the moment seems to be no. Um, they distinguish between purely domestic travel and shipping, right? And, and international travel. Um, and, and any, any purely domestic travel is easy. That's valuable. Once you start inbound and outbound, right? Outbound, Clearly, it's not valuable. Inbound, is that valuable? That gets awfully convoluted again. But they seem to be leading to a situation where it's, it's not valuable. You have to look at the real destination of the ticket. So let's say, for instance, I want to go to Atlanta, but, but I have to go through Freeport. All right? So I go Nassau, Freeport, Freeport, Atlanta, Atlanta, Freeport, Freeport, Nassau. Do I pay VAT on the Nassau to Freeport leg, but don't pay VAT on the Freeport to Atlanta leg, right? And, and vice versa on your return. The answer, they, they seem to have, the common sense seems to have prevailed, and the answer seems to be you won't pay VAT on the Nassau to Freeport leg 
because Freeport was just a way station on the way to where you were going. You weren't going to Freeport. So you look at your ultimate destination, right? If that's domestic, it's valuable. If, it's, if you have a domestic leg of your trip, which is intended to get you somewhere outside of the Bahamas, and then coming back, that at the moment, that seems not to be valuable. And the same with shipping. Okay, but, but you know, as, I, as I've said, and again, there's no easy solution to this. Uh, there's going to be, in, in, in most countries that I've looked at, when they've introduced VAT or something similar to VAT, GSAT, um, it, it really has taken about two years for the dust to settle. Um, you know, for all these difficulties and transitional quirks to be worked out. Um, so there's no easy way to do this. Uh, now, it's, it's made more difficult when you don't have the answers and you don't have good communication and you don't have the rules and everything comes out late and all that sort of stuff. But the bottom line is, and, and, and this is no criticism because it happens every country, you don't do something as radical and as transformative as that without a whole lot of problems. There ain't no easy way to do it. Now, I think we've made it more difficult because of these other issues of poor communication and you know, people not knowing what they're doing and everything comes out late and all that sort of stuff. But put that aside, right? there is no way, and I know of no country, that has introduced VAT, which has not, not had major problems. You know, and it takes anywhere from two to three years. In the more developed countries, maybe about 18 months to 24 months, you know, for the dust to settle and the systems to be worked out and the infrastructure to be put in place. For the you know, smaller countries, it can take as long as 36 months. Right? But, but throughout that process, there has to be this collaboration you know, between the VAT authorities and, and the consumers you know, to work these issues through. And when you ask questions, you've got to be able to get somebody who can answer them for you. Pensioners? Well, they don't get any, they don't get any exemption. There's no VAT payable on pensions, but when you go into the food store, you don't get any exemption. You pay your 7.5%. On, on everything. This <laughs> person and Brother Ron is the small, old, small businessman. Is it better for me to go and, if Sister Barbara wants to buy something which is the same item, should she go and buy it from him or come to me? Because well, that's, of course, that's a point that a lot of people made. A lot of people said, oh, you know, the, the small businesses are going to be able to sell things much cheaper than the VAT registrants. True, that is correct. Um, if, if you got the same item in super value and you got it in the, the Smith's grocery on the corner, right? And super value is a registrant and Smith's grocer is a non-registrant. Uh, unless Smith's grocer is jacking up his margin, right? Which, which a lot of people feel is what will happen. Right, but if he doesn't jack up his if he doesn't jack up his margin, and he keeps his prices where they were pre-VAT, all right, then clearly it's cheaper to buy the item from a non-registrant. Now it's not exactly seven and a half percent cheaper, because if you remember, remember if he's a non-registrant, he has to pay VAT on all of his inputs. He doesn't get any credits, so the cost of his business will go up. All right. But it's not going to go up by 7.5%. You know what I'm saying? So what you're going to find, if, if, if you don't jack up the margins, and this is a, a true, pure, 
Example, the little guy, the non-registrant, is probably going to have to increase his prices by 3 or 4% to cover his own VAT costs, right? And the registrant's going to have to go up by 7.5%, right? So, yeah, it should be cheaper to buy from a non-registrant. But also remember the other factors. Big businesses get great economies of scale because of the volume of inventory. So they get better prices at, at their source. There are all kinds of questions that go into the equation. But make no mistake about it, all things being equal, <coughs> the non-registrant should be able to sell that good cheaper than the registrant. So whether you go into that shop or that shop is up to you. Yeah. If you're not a registered, you will have to pay 7.5% on all your inputs, and you get no credit for that. You get the, the non-registered get credit also? No. No. So he doesn't get his VAT back. They really can't be cheaper. Sorry? Yeah, 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 they're going to be cheaper. They're going to be cheaper because the, 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 the amount of VAT they're paying on their input is not going to be nearly as large as the 7.5% which they would have to charge on their outputs, right? So it's not 7.5% cheaper, but it's going to be about 4 or 5% cheaper, unless he puts up his margins. Okay, we're losing people, so maybe we got to wrap this up. I don't want you to go to sleep on me. Um, so, so, Errol, maybe we've, I've exhausted everybody. Because <laughs> um, people, I think, we're, we're trying to go. I mean, in terms of the, the rest of the slides, we, we've, we've covered, I think, um, a, fair, a fair number of them, and I, and I think we can leave it there, because I, I don't want you to... Um... Yeah, 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 of course, there is a, there is a, VAT, there is a VAT website that, you know, is, is quite helpful on certain issues. Um, <laughs> you know, it's quite helpful on certain issues, uh, and of course, they, they have a VAT helpline, which I understand isn't very helpful. Um, but anyway, these things, I guess, will hopefully get better as we work our way through it. Right? But, but anyway, at a very fundamental level, and let's, let's end on this, and thank you for your attention, and I'm sorry we've gone a little long, but you're responsible because you're asking me the questions. Um, but I, I hope at least at a very fundamental level, you kind of get a, an idea of how it works. It is an horrifically complicated process. It really is. It's a big process. It's a major shift in the paradigm for us. Uh, and it, it is going to be difficult. Uh, and it's not going to get easier in the short term, in my view. But we have to work our way through it, you know, and it'll settle down and the world won't come to an end, you know, because of that. Um, but it's certainly going to have an impact on us. And you kind of see how it works now. Thank you very much.